Welcome to Shields Up, XFL Defenders Podcast. What is up, DC Defenders fans? We are coming off a much, much needed win against the St. Louis Battlehawks. The DC Defenders won 15-6 at home. And we were coming off of two really brutal, brutal losses against the Wildcats and the Tampa Bay Vipers. So this is definitely a welcome, welcome win. And another huge takeaway with this game is now that we have moved to 3-2 and two with our win-loss record, we have actually passed the St. Louis Battlehawks and taken over first place in our division. That's because we have the tiebreaker against the Guardians and now against the St. Louis Battlehawks. So it's definitely much needed after the two losses we had in a row. And it's definitely pleasant to see. I mean, it feels great to finally have won one. John, what did you think and how are you feeling today? Hey, it's a great day in the DMV today. Sunny day, about 70 degrees. You know, definitely not a coincidence. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, j- just to kind of going off what you said, uh, I think that the biggest thing we saw that was different from the past two weeks was just the energy of the team, right? Um, start yeah. off a little slow on the offensive end, but the defense really came to play from the beginning. Um, the bit, one note I made on the defense was how the front seven complete 180 from the past two weeks where weren't getting pressure, we're letting running backs, you know, carry the move the pile, we're getting extra yards after contact. I think we saw the front seven and especially defensive line led by Anthony Johnson were in the backfield every play. Uh, really took the pressure off of our uh, secondary uh, to cover the most receivers for extended periods of time. And uh, Jordan Tomba, who had been – you know, outside of P.J. Walker, really been, you know, held up as one of the, the bright quarterbacks in the league. He never looked comfortable, yeah. never got into a rhythm. And he got sacked four times, um, knocked down a few more, and uh, had to, you know, flee the pocket and several other occasions. So I think something that had been lacking from D.C. was, one, the pass rush, but two, just the energy and just, you know, bringing in on every play, you know, winning, or, uh, winning at the line of scrimmage. And we had seen Johnson and Cornelius in the past two weeks just have their way with the defense, essentially whatever they wanted. And that was definitely not the case here. Yeah, and I have to say that the defensive line really did, I think, set the tone for this game early on with the pressure they put on Tamu and the uh, stopping the Battlehawks game early. I mean, the Battlehawks also had a great running back in Matt Jones, who has really had success throughout the first four weeks of the season. And we weren't letting him get anywhere. We weren't letting Tama do anything because we were putting so much pressure on him. (laughs) They they wanted to prove a point, and I think they certainly did that. We had, I mean, Anthony Johnson, you mentioned it as well. He had a phenomenal game. He was putting so much pressure um, back there on quarterback, on Tamu. And he was, I think we tweeted out that he was in beast mode because he looked unstoppable. But in addition to him, I mean, Kelly Anau, I think, got the best player of the game award at the end because he had two tackles, a forced fumble, and one sack. And overall, um, the defensive line finished the game with four sacks. Uh, And in addition to the defense as well, I mean, the special teams also looked really good. Uh, Jamil Thurman had a blocked punt, uh, which honestly, I think, won us the game at the end because we were able to bury the ball at the St. Louis four-yard line. That was really great to see. So... You know, it was a low-scoring game for us, and we'll talk about our offense a little bit. But overall, the defense just wasn't letting St. Louis do anything that they wanted to. And, you know, we lived up to the D.C. defender's name, and we were able to get the win, right? And at the end of the day, the score being put aside a bit, 
the one thing that really mattered for us was to be able to get out of that sort of slump that we had been in because those past two weeks really were a horrible spot for the team. And we were getting a little bit worried. I mean, we saw the defenders drop down and all the power rankings around the league. Uh, after having such a great start, we saw people starting to doubt us. We had a lot of concerns with Pep Hamilton. We had a lot of concerns with whether or not the trades we had made were good trades for the team and whether or not we needed a change on offense. And I think a lot of those questions got cleared up after this game. Now, obviously, we need to be able to keep this momentum going and show that this team is really deserving of being in first place. But if you're not playing the Roughnecks, the best, uh, the next best win that you could get is going to be against the Battlehawks. And I think it's more important for us being in the East to beat probably our top division rival like this. So I really see this as a statement game in what could possibly be um, a turnaround game that sets the tone for the rest of the season. So I hope that we're going to see this continue because we can, we have the chance to get on a roll. Now we have another game coming up at home and we can, you know, set those two bad weeks aside and, and get something going. And it's nice to see that we have a defense that we can at least continuously trust at home. And hopefully that translate translates on the road as well. Yeah. And, you know, having a upcoming home game against the uh, Landry Jones list renegades that seem to be, you know, really struggling to find their identity with their starting quarterback out, you know, you imagine um, Anthony Johnson and the defensive line would look in their chops to get right back at it in this upcoming week. And you know, I think, you know, one of the things that, had been so frustrating for defenders fans was not that we had, you know, dropped two games to two winless teams, but just in the way that it had been done. And I think the the biggest, they were blowouts. (laughs) Yeah. I think the biggest difference you saw was just the hustle and the energy and, you know, whether that's playing off the Audi field crowd. um, And you saw a lot of uh, players make comments about the, the home field energy um, the, the mojo of the beer snake and all of our luck contributing to that, you know, just (laughs) the overall environment. I think you really saw, the players feed off that you see uh, one thing that we, we love uh, going to the talk about is how the players interact with the fans. Um, yeah. I think you see that, that, you know, that extra pep and step in uh, finishing plays um, to your point about Jameer Thurman's block punt. I mean, just a great designed uh, uh, punt block uh, play beats his hand one-on-one makes the play helps seal the game. You know, especially when the offense is, we would, you know, I think we would say they did just enough to keep the defense well rested, um, not on the field for mm-hmm. too long. Uh, the defense really carried this game, and in two straight games, you know, we had the tiebreaker over New York, largely based on a defensive shutout, and in this game also. So it's comfort, it's comforting to see the defense bounce back like this, and to know that we can win a low-scoring game just based on that defensive effort. Um, I think, you know, moving forward, you would like to see them kind of build out the next steps of having a more stable offensive attack. Um, Yeah. One thing I was encouraged to see was the running game we picked up and you saw um, really it was Presley in this game. I mean, again, and even he looked great, man. He did. And and even carry split um, 15 carries for Presley, uh, 15 for Pomfrey, but Presley really made the most of it. I mean, he had that one long run where it looked like he'd been wrapped up. And uh, he was able to break free and uh, get a, a big chunk of uh, yards. And, you know, we had seen that so often going against our team on the road. So, you know, he's having that home energy. Um, and, you know, to some extent, backs against the wall. I mean, being a home underdog by, I think, the line got out to as much as five and a half points. Um, when, you know, folks had counted you out, D.C. had been ranked 
really an eighth I'd seen in some power rankings. Um, what we thought was a little disrespectful for still a two and two team, but um, you'd seen a lot of folks really had uh, almost given up. Uh, so it was good to see, you know, 16,000 plus Audi field still believe in the team and cheer them on. I think that really reinvigorated um, the, the defensive efforts um, and making those special teams plays um, and all the plays that seemed to have gone against us. We were able to kind of flip and uh, make happen for us in this one. Yeah, and you know, it's tough. It's tough to see how low the defenders had fallen in the power rankings that people were putting out there. But you also have to understand it, right? Because we played two teams in a row that were both winless and basically blew us out. Uh, you know, we had a shutout in one of them and we lost by 30 points in the other. So the product that we were seeing was not a pretty product. And it was fair to raise a lot of questions there. And with that comes turmoil right so we saw players calling each other out in the games we saw a lot of fans online questioning the coaching skills of pep hamilton and we saw a lot of sort of anger towards the team and when the offense came out early and couldn't deliver in the first two drives fans started getting a little bit antsy right and you heard a few boos coming from the crowd uh, crowd early on in the game which was tough to watch but that's what happens i think when the team is not delivering but it also shows you that once that you see that small spark in the team, especially if you're at home, you'll get the crowd behind you as well. But more importantly, the players mentally will be able to realize they can actually achieve what they want to on the field. And I think once that spark came early on in this game, we saw a sudden shift. And the players, like you said, I mean, they were feeding off of the fans. I loved after each defensive play how they would come pump out the crowd. I loved seeing the guys on the sidelines as well. Um, trying to get everyone hyped and jumping up and down because this team really wanted to win it. They knew that they had to win it, and they definitely delivered. And, you know, we'll see if we can improve the offense going forward. But I think setting the tone for a run game and knowing that we can at least rely on the run when we need to is a critical takeaway from this game. I mean, Jarrell personally, like you said, he looked incredible. And for the fans who maybe didn't get to watch it, the play that John was talking about earlier, he stepped over three Battlehawks defenders who were on the ground. And it sort of seemed like, I think uh, we put this out there, that it was like a glitch in the system, right? Because <laughs> nobody sort of realized what was going on there, but with his awareness, he was just able to get over them and immediately bolt for that big gain. And it's nice to see that when we get a guy going, like Jarrell Presley got going on Sunday, we can really rely on that guy over and over again to be able to get us closer and closer to you know the goal line but more importantly get us first down after first down and that's what's really going to keep this offense on the field um yeah now let me ask you though i mean do you see do you see presley as the lead back now i mean again he had he had over 100 yards in this game uh even split uh with pumphrey but also notably uh nothing for brissett in this game who had yeah kind of been and i think i think brissett um pep hamilton talked about it a bit they wanted to keep Presley out there because he was doing so well, but Brissett is definitely going to get his carries mm-hmm. as well. And we've talked about it in our previous shows, how we think that Brissett is really deserving of more, more carries and more game time. But it's sort of understandable with the game that Jarrell had that you'd want to be able to continue sort of the momentum that he has in his favor. I think the team has sort of moved over to Pumphrey as their lead back. But I think him and Presley, they they play different roles, right? So Pumphrey is going to come in, especially when we know we're going to be throwing, but we want to be able to throw the check down. 
or we want to be able to stretch the play a bit. Well, there'll be plenty of checkdowns based on how this offense is, is operated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Date. Exactly. And <laughs> um, Pumphrey, I think it plays very well in that situation. Uh, but it's nice to see that we have a guy like Presley too, that really can get us those big games when we need them. And I think more importantly, I mean, we just need these guys to get the confidence back, right? Because we know what they're capable of. I think we've talked about it several times. We have one of the better teams in this league. And from what we saw at home, these guys looked really good. So they weren't able to continue that sort of while they were away. And, you know, mentally you fall out of it. But a game like this is really a reminder of what they're capable of and should get them going going forward as well. And, you know, you just said we had plenty of checkdowns. That's that's true because we had a different quarterback behind the uh, – <laughs> behind the uh, ball, right? We had Tyree Jackson coming early on. Uh, so what happened was Cardell Jones came out for the first two drives. He ended the second drive with an interception. And then right after that, Pep Hamilton put Tyree Jackson in. And Jackson delivered a really good game, I have to say. Now, he wasn't passing much, right? But he was at least doing what was asked of him. He got, I think it was his first drive that he was in the game. He got a touchdown pass to Kyrie Lee, who we have talked about as uh, being a great option at tight end for the team and really adding to the receive unit that we have. And that really brought, brought a burst of energy back into this team. And that was, I think it came at the exact moment that we needed it to come. So that was great to see. But you also see a lot of uh, good running plays from Tyree Jackson where he wasn't afraid to sort of make the call of, okay, I don't see anyone open. I'm just going to go run this. And I think Pep Hamilton mentioned this in his uh, press conference after the game too. He's a tall guy. I mean, Tyree Jackson, I think is six foot eight, right? So Pep Hamilton was saying, he's just got to fall down and he's already getting us a couple of yards on the field, right? So having a guy like him that when you know you're going to be relying on the run a lot and you're going to be going for the short passes, I think gives us an excellent tool in the quarterbacks that we have and something that is very different than what Cardell Jones can deliver. And, you know, it's been unfortunate, but Cardell has been in the slump and there's been questions asked about him, right? So I think Tyree Jackson was able to come in at a moment where, especially mentally, it could have been tough for Cardell to be like, I'm going to lose this game again. I just threw an interception and bring some life back into this team and especially keep the crowd in it because we went from the showering booze to the excitement and um, a team that's coming together is one that can really win. Yeah. I, I think Tyree Jacks definitely came in, um, you know, sparked the crowd with that, the touchdown pass to Lee um, coming off, you know, Seattle puts points on the board after the interception. Um, and they actually have a, uh, they kick the ball um, short of the 20 yard line, which gives the defenders a short field and they're able to drive down and get yeah. that touchdown pass, which really from there, never, they never looked back. Um, Tyree Jackson, I mean, he, to your point, he was, he was effective on the ground. He had uh, seven attempts for I believe 32 yards. And he had that one uh, beautiful open, open field uh, play where he made a guy miss on third down and was able to pick up the first um, to help block. Yeah. Um, on the flip side though, uh, I mean, 9 of 14 passing, um, again, high completion percentage, uh, largely aided by uh, checkdowns and uh, short short curls. Uh, we didn't really see anything beyond an intermediate pass in this one. Um, you know, maybe that's by yeah. design. You know, again, we, defenders were playing so well on defense. 
that um, I guess maybe the biggest stat that he had was zero interceptions. And that's what Hamilton and the offense were looking for there was just to, to manage the game and hold on to the ball, not turn it over and compromise your defense. Um, we did see some Aaron throws, um, and it's it's hard to assess this receiving core really the past three weeks, right? I mean, I'm looking at the targets and receptions numbers. Um, Rashad Ross, two for 11. Eli Rogers, one for two. Um, and Tompkins, you know, surprisingly, again, near, uh, no catches in this one. Yeah. You know, they really – He only had a carry, right? Yeah, and, and again, that is just a function of, we got to get this guy. He's a talented player. Let's get the ball in his hands. He gets one um, end-around play. He gets 28 yards out of it. Um, again, one of, one of those um, spark plays that he can he can do. Um, we're just accustomed to it being on a, you know, when he's going deep downfield or streaking across the middle. Um, whether, you know, whether it's some combination of Jones and Jackson, and I, I think we'll talk about this in a little bit with Pep um, alluding to kind of the role that Jackson might play moving forward yeah. and that Jones definitely is, um, he's, you know, I've said he's, he's still the guy. Um, we'll talk about how much the game plan was dictated by that early interception versus something that was just planned. But um, it, it, this receiver, I mean, it's clearly not, it's not enough, right? Like it, it can't be a one-dimensional offense that is relying solely on the run. We have to have some threat of a pass or some ability to move the ball and shorten, you know, a two-minute situation where you've got to go the distance, Um so I, I think there are some building blocks on the running game um, that we can build off of that are assuring, reassuring and knowing that we can ride the hot hand and we have three backs that have the ability to be game breakers. But it's just it's unfortunate because we just really can't assess these receivers that we had been really high on the first two weeks of the season. I think a lot of that is just a function of the quarterback play has been pretty inconsistent. And um, when it's not an interception, it's, you know, it's it's throwing the check down to avoid the interception. Um, so I think that I think a downfield accuracy is the biggest hindrance to this team right now. Yeah, I have to say we, we got to remember there was also a touchdown that got called back that I know you thought should have been called back. I didn't think it should have been called back. And from what I can tell on social media, a lot of fans thought was was a call that should have ended with a touchdown, um, the, a pass from Tyree Jackson to Cobbs Jr., uh, which really was a great pass and a great play. And it was unfortunate to see that end up with, with the points taken back off the board. But I do think that overall, what we saw from Tyree Jackson was really a result of the game plan. Because, you know, we talk about only 39 yards in passing, but he only went for 14 passes and got nine of those. Now, they were very short passes. And, you know, he averaged, I think, two and a half pass yards per game uh, per pass. But... I think that's sort of what Pep Hamilton was going for. I do think it's something that definitely is not sustainable. We can't win games playing with that offense week in and week out. But I mean, thirty-nine yards passing. I mean, just... think about that for a second. I mean, I think. Oh yeah. I mean, that's I think that's crazy. a testament to how the yeah. defense was really able to control this game from start to finish against against a good Seattle uh, offense. Um, yeah, I mean, just again, just really no threat of downfield play that, that allows the defense to stack the box to guard against the run and the check down. So I think that also just adds to you know how impressive the running game was when you're getting you know eight eight guys in the box, you know, gearing up to stop the run and force the pass. We were still able to break free um, and get you know one thing I was really encouraged to see was getting those consistent running plays too. We had the Presley break the big yeah. one, but we also had a lot of. 
again, just getting into second and medium, uh, second and short. And that was encouraging to see as well, especially with the stacked box. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it was good to at least see that we were making those plays happen. Uh, but I do think that, you know, like you said, there's a concern with Tyree Jackson as an everyday quarterback. If, if he's not going to be able to convert those deep plays, we're going to definitely have games where we need those. What I do see in him, and I think I've seen a, lo- a few other people mention this as well, is that he reminds me a lot of Taysom Hill from the New Orleans Saints, where, you know, he's just a tall quarterback that can come in. And somebody with that, I guess, body type and skill set in general, to me is very intriguing in the XFL because now you also have the double forward pass, which opens a lot of play options. I'd be interested to see him run a few of those plays with Cardell Jones. I don't know how you could do that without making it obvious that that's what you're going to do if you have two quarterbacks out there at once. But um, I think he's very versatile and at least adds something that Cardell Jones doesn't. Um, I think just based off of the issues that you've mentioned and the lack of passing that we did see in this game that, you know, converted to um, deep, deep passes and uh, big gains uh, through the passing game. Cardell Jones is going to be our more everyday guy, but I did like at least for the purpose of this, of this game, what Tyree Jackson was able to accomplish. And, you know, at the end of the day, the main thing we needed was the win and we did get the win. Another thing that I do want to mention about the dynamics between the two of them, I mean, and I think this translated to the entire game in general, but the teamwork aspect behind it was really nice to see. You saw Cardell Jones really cheering uh, Tyree Jackson on the sidelines, and I was paying a little bit extra attention to this at the game as well, because when we first benched Cardell, I was like, is this the start of several problems? Are we going to have issues here? But no, he was there jumping up and down after every play, and he was cheering Tyree Jackson on. As soon as Lee got the touchdown, uh, Tyree Jackson ran to the side and Cardell Jones gave him a f- high five. I think it was the first guy to greet him there. So that was really good to see. And after the game, Tyree Jackson in his interview thanked Cardell for his support. So I think that was also a really positive takeaway. But what it does reflect is just overall and what we talked about early on as well, the players were they had a very different vibe to them. I mean, they were happy to be there. They were happy to actually see their work uh, translate to the field game and see themselves getting results. I think that really kept them going. But we saw a very positive team atmosphere where guys were praising each other after the game. Pep Hamilton in his press conference said that we really came together as a team. That was really important for him to see. We had talked a little bit about last week when Cardell Jones called out DeAndre Tompkins for not being ready and saying that we should bench him. And that had us a little worried about, you know, are there going to be issues within the team? We were way past that this week. And I think that's huge. The general enjoyment that these players get while playing out there really showed. And even on social media after the game, I was seeing players were congratulating each other, retweeting some tweets of their teammates saying, you know, he's the one that really set the tone for us. Um, saying this is why we come together as a team and capitalizing team. I mean, all of that I think was wonderful to see because these guys really get along and that's huge. And, you know, when the guys are enjoying what they're doing out there, this sort of brings me back, you know, as you know, I'm a huge Nationals fan. 
And the Nationals had a wonderful season in the MLB that ended with the World Series title. But what I really enjoyed seeing there is that the guys were just having fun being out there and playing the game. They were doing it because they love playing baseball. And the XFL sort of reminds me of what I loved about that Nationals team. I mean, these guys, the reason they're in the league is because they want to prove themselves, but also because they love to play football and they love to be a part of this game. And when these guys remember that the real reason they want to do this is because they're good at it and they want to have fun while they're doing something that they're good at, that is going to reflect into success. And I loved, loved, loved seeing that against the Battle Hawks because I think the team sort of realized that. And I really hope that that mentality continues because it's stuff like that that even if you don't win every single game, fans are going to be supporting you nonstop because that's absolutely wonderful to see from a football team. So we'll see how that continues. But to me, that was a huge takeaway from this game. Yeah, absolutely. And again, to Cardell's credit, we we have been pretty critical with his comments to Tompkins and just his general demeanor and and how that Tampa Bay game unfolded. Um, it could have very easily unfolded a similar way where if he's pouting on the sideline, he's not engaged. Um, but you did. You saw him celebrate with Jackson after the touchdown. You saw him pretty engaged. Yeah. I, I noticed he was running up and down the sidelines for the most part. So pretty involved. He was pumping out. Uh, he was pumping up the crowd too. Even late in the game, when he'd been out for over two quarters, he was the one, you know, putting his hands in the air and trying to get everything, uh, you know, all cheerful and, and shouting and riled. Yeah, up. So and I and I that think that's um, and I think it's that's critical for our, our long term season success, right? I, I think he was able to take a step back and say, you know, this wasn't my game. I'm not going to be the hero of this game. Um, it's you know this is the Tyree Jackson game where he comes in and you know leads the spark. But an agreement that for long term success, I mean, there's a reason that Jones was hailed as um, you know the Week One MVP chance. He was a preseason. Um, he's one of the faces of the league. I mean, he's he's got uh, great potential, and it's unfortunate to kind of see how it's unfolded the past few weeks. But I think we're in agreement that you know any any you know, postseason success from the team. I can't imagine that Jones is not a part of that. You know, and it's, oh, it's interesting you mentioned the, the Taysom Hill um, analogy or, or comparison because, you know, we, yeah. you know, we've seen how that worked with the New Orleans Saints. It, it's pretty effective. And, you know, even in the NFL, there were plays where Hill and Breeze were on the field at the same time. Um, and I think that was something that we, we, were, we had seen in week one where, Jackson coming in for some of the extra point attempts, but he'd also, you know, played sparingly in, in some spots. Um, and we were, one of the things we were talking about, well, you know, when this offense, as it progresses, as it, you know, meshes together, you're going to see more double passes. You're going to see more trick plays and not even necessarily trick plays, but just plays where he's on the field and he's a, a threat to run as well. And we've seen, he does have open field running ability, um, pretty uh, yeah. big body able to, to muscle out for a few extra yards, but and he showed that against he did. the Battlehawks, too. He definitely had some big plays that were a result of that. He did. Set. And it was just one of the things that's, you know, adding to the frustration of us not progressing is we've taken a step back on offense. You know, our passing game isn't as dynamic to yeah. where, you know, at this point in the season, I, I would have expected we're running a few uh, gadget plays a game, but both on the field. And I think as our, you know, our base offense has kind of faltered and fluttered a bit, that's really uh, hindered the development of, of Jackson getting put into the game at the same time as Jones and building out, you know, 
uh, you know, more advanced and complex offensive schemes because we've kind of had to go back to basics. Um, and, and I think we expect that Jones will get the primary, um, the primary amount of snaps under center and Jackson will come in um, as needed, but um, you know, who knows? I mean, that, that might be subject to change based on, um, and, you know, at this point, Jones is, I think seven interceptions on the season. Um, you, know, you, you, like we said, you can't win uh, throwing the ball for 39 yards, but you also can't win having three or four uh, interceptions in a game or even, you know, even, you know, just any interception can, or turnovers can, can bite you. You know, just ask Tampa Bay how that went last um, on Sunday night. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, there are, I guess kind of how, how to approach this game is it's obviously great to get the win. Um, it has great implications long-term for the East that we'll talk about in a minute, but it's a little bit of a mixed bag in terms of it would have been great to have Jones along for the ride, um, you know, doing his part along with the offense as opposed to us winning in spite of his performance. But I think overall, you, like you said earlier, you, you take it, you know, where this team was a week ago, you'll absolutely take this result. You'll absolutely take the team coming together and really uh, encouraging each other as opposed to taking, you know, shots at each other in interviews and things like that. So it is crazy what a difference a week makes, and pro- honestly, probably what a difference Audi Field makes. I'm sure they're they're happy to be home and happy to have this upcoming week at home as well. We've talked a little bit about the the home field advantage that we saw, and how the fans were really engaged at the game, and how the team really delivered being back home at Audi Field. The attendance that we saw, the exact number was 16,342, which is almost 1,500 up from game two. And nearing the numbers, not at the 17,000 that we saw game one, but getting close to it. And, you know, there are a lot of external factors, uh, the team not playing well and, you know, whether you like it or not, the, uh, the growing coronavirus fears as well that really would keep that attendance number down. So despite that, seeing a showing like this, to me, was a huge positive. And I think the players really appreciated it too, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, you, I think you had, um, it was, I think it was Raheem Moore, a senior, had said that uh, this is you know, the best crowd he's played for. Um, and you know, just the vibe is different. Um, I think you saw that from opening kickoff. Um, you seen the, the fans... Uh, really didn't waver in their support, you know, even when the offense was struggling. Um, it was good. I and mean, one thing that we were encouraged to see was that, you know, the team didn't have an early letdown like they had in, in past games. Um, you know, I, and I think another factor that's going to help with the attendance figures, um, you know, barring it being offset by outside influences, you know, just the temperature, obviously, was just a, a beautiful day for football. Oh, it was great. It was wonderful. Wasn't I mean, the, the past game we went to was, a, you know, mid-20s, yeah. and, you know, here I think – around, you know, upper 60s or even 70 uh, time kickoff. So, uh, or, you know, I think in the mid-60s. So it was just a great, great day for football. I think it's really, really helps um, the atmosphere and the vibe around it. Um, you know, one thing we got to talk about, because I think it's is uh, becoming social media famous. It's becoming uh, news famous as well. It's just this beer snake that <laughs> is um, – <laughs> It was quite impressive, I'll tell you that. Yeah, you know, if that's just if that is what the DC Defenders uh, fan base is known for, it's um, supporting the team and having a fun time doing it. So I think it um, it, it was it's it's been fun to see that the, the team itself uh, lean into it. I've seen some folks who are not as pleased and think it's a little gimmicky, but I think we both enjoy it 
um, it's, just, it's just something that just kind of shows again how how the fans are getting into it and the the fan base itself is getting um, its own character. I mean, we had another wave going around the the, the stadium. Yeah. Um, different, it seems to be different chance every game. Um, not as much MVP lately, but you know, I, it is it's a fun fan base to be a part of. And again, when you're undefeated at home, you know the fans will the fans will keep cheering. Um, they'll they'll begrudgingly watch you know the away games that we've traveled in. But you know when DC defenders come home, they'll they'll have a fan base to cheer them on. So things really could have gone south early on because, as I said earlier, there were those those few boos after the first interception that was thrown. But the team responded just at the perfect time. And after that, it was an absolutely amazing experience to be a part of because everyone was having fun being there. And like you said, early on in the game, we had a wave going, which you know may sound small, but I've been to a lot of sporting events. They're not easy to consistently get, right? You'll have a section that tries to start it and it will you know, disappear after a, a few tries. They'll, they'll just give up. But this is now su- successfully the second game where we've seen a wave at the stadium. And we posted a video of that on, on our Twitter account as well. But it's it's wonderful to see the fans get into it and really be there to to enjoy the game and enjoy the experience as a whole. I mean, they're not just coming to it as there's an event we might as well attend it and see what it's like. They're coming there because they're excited about this team. They're excited to see some football here in D.C. Uh, going into March. And they're excited to see when they can a team that's actually winning too. So I think you saw a lot of that reflected. One thing that really stuck out to me was there was a lot of DC Defenders merch. I mean, we've talked about merch a few times uh, in this podcast and how difficult it has been to find with the XFL. I think having demands higher than they had expected. But what shocked me was almost everyone had like a DC Defenders hat or a jersey or a t-shirt or jacket or something and this team's only been around five weeks right yeah absolutely and Uh, and that again that is really encouraging to see we've seen you know folks wearing red that's been uh, um i know i think you were you uh, in the first game wore like your nats windbreaker so you know again just seeing you know people want to support the team but either hadn't fully um, bought in or uh, aware of the merchandise available or um, unable to get it just because of the surging demand. Because uh, yeah, after these home games, yeah. we would go onto the team store and see that some of these items have been sold out. So, um, you know, they you know, they're rolling out uh, additional attire now. So you're seeing folks wearing you know different st- different types of gear, which has been really great to see how that's grown. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's just a, another sign that you know the, I think it's a good sign that the fans who have come and they've come and enjoyed and they've they've stayed right and they're they're a part of it now and they've. It's become they're invested in the team, right? Exactly. Because I can tell, I can tell you very clearly, it was an overwhelming majority of people who were wearing red that were wearing actual DC Defenders gear. It, you know, you still have the Nats gear there, you still have the Caps gear there, which I think we all like seeing as well. I mean, it's DC sports at the end of the day. I can understand people who are wearing that. And like you said, I was doing that too. But an overwhelming majority of people were wearing actual DC Defenders gear. That means that these people care enough, care about the team enough to go purchase the merchandise. That means that these people care enough to wear that gear to the games to show the team that they support it. And that means that the team as a whole is really sticking with the city, which I think is one of the concerns early on before the season started that the XFL probably had is, will this sort of 
investment that we've put in translate to success with fans and building fan bases, we definitely have a fan base in DC. And the num the attendance numbers show that, the interactions that you see online show that. And I think just seeing the fans at the game showed that too. And the players, they definitely love it. Like you talked about earlier, how Raheem Moore Sr. after the game said that he's played at the college level, he's played in high school, he's played in the NFL, but that these XFL fans felt different. I think he made a joke saying the XFL must be paying these guys because I've never seen fans like this. I mean, it's crazy. We had, we had the deer snake going again. This time it was extremely successful, and we actually have some unofficial stats on this deer snake that I want to share. According to the XFL Twitter account, there was an estimated – 1,237 cups that went into that. <laughs> now, if you saw it at the end of the game and you saw it built towards the end of the game, I think there were actually more than that. And looking at some of the math whizzes that were on Twitter, people are estimating about 2,300 total, uh, which I believe it, right? Because everyone was contributing. We even saw, and this is just so great to see in the professional sports league, Oliver Luck, the commissioner of the XFL, came down and contributed a beer cup to that beer snake during the game, right? And and I'll agree I'll agree with some of the people who do say it's gimmicky, but I don't care that it's gimmicky because it's getting the fans really into this and it's just cool to see. I mean, it's not easy to bring together 2000 plus cups at a game, stack them all on top of each other and keep that going throughout uh the end of the game, right? That to me is incredibly impressive. And I really respect the fans that were able to get that going. But I also just love how this this makes us a talking point around the league. I mean, something small like a beer snake that some people may dismiss is still something that has other fans in the league looking and has players in the league looking. And even fans outside of the XFL who like to follow sports in general saying, what is going on in D.C.? This puts our fan base on the map and the players are loving it. You know, we talked earlier about the Cobbs Jr. touchdown that was called back, but there was one of the most iconic photos, and I encourage people to go and look this one up. After he uh, he got the touchdown, he jumped right to the fans that had the beer snake going and celebrated with them right next to the beer snake, and that was really amazing to see. I think overall, it's just incredible that, that the fans were able to come up with this idea. The fans were able to get everyone there involved with it, and everyone was just having such a great time. And it's that, you know, positive energy that sort of resonates throughout the stadium that when you see players make the big plays, that they're, you know, players will talk about how how much they love fan bases after games. And a lot of the time, you know, whether you like it or not, it ends up being fan service, right? I think here in the XFL, these guys really do genuinely enjoy getting cheered on because they're interacting with fans after games. They're thanking fans before games. I know we saw a couple of players get in on the t-shirt tosses and throw some t-shirts up to fans. That was amazing to see. But even after those big plays, when they're jumping and celebrating with the fans, it just feels so genuine. I don't know what it is, but you know, like I said, I, I've been to a lot of sports games, but here it just feels much more intimate than I'm used to. And that's, that's an amazing thing. And that's why I think, the Audi field home field advantage is honestly a real thing. I mean, as long as we keep that energy going, players, you know, this is a proven fact that mentally players perform better 
when they have positive energy from fans coming towards them. And you see the players actually deliver based off of what the fans are sending their way. So I love seeing it. I really hope it continues. I'm excited that we're back home next week. But overall, I mean, this was a huge, huge positive from this game that I think really allowed us to get that bounce back that we needed. Absolutely. And it's really been since day one, um, both with the, the DC fan yeah. base, um, just getting on the map with some of the chants being referenced, um, the go for threes, the MVP chance, um, the people thinking yeah. week five. Um, you know, to your point, Oliver Luck contributing, acknowledging it, um, having the league itself, I think, um, acknowledge it, um, you know, in a fun, lighthearted way. And that's been really great to see that mm-hmm. the league is is serious about its mission and expanding, um, you know, and really establishing itself. But it's also um, willing, to, you know, to to you know embrace the lighthearted aspects. You know, it intentionally has embraced um, the betting side. It's in you know, un, you know maybe not intentionally based on these fan bases, but um, you've really seen they really have come to you know, acknowledge the unique character that you know, these different fan bases have. You know, these St. Louis games uh, get rowdy. Um, DC, you know, in a different respect. So you're seeing these fan bases form their own personalities, but overall it is, like you said, it's, it's based on this mutual recognition of um, really love for the game and just enjoying watching folks who go out there and, and perform for themselves, for their teams. And, really for these fan bases that they've only been, again, it's we're in week five of, of the season, you know, and these, these teams, you can tell that their the teams are playing for each other, playing for the fan bases and it's, it's being reciprocated. And that's, you know, it's a really cool mm-hmm. vibe to be a part of, you know, and you're seeing it in things like the merchandise sales, the ticket sales. Um, and we'll, we'll probably have, you know, a, a bigger picture recap, you know, was this a, a successful um, rollout? Um, things like that. But, you know, compared to national course, ratings yeah. and things like that. But for at least from what I've seen, the, the ticket sales and, you know, showing how strong that these teams are um, integrating into their local cities, I think that's been very encouraging. Um, you know, as these national ratings may have fluctuated a bit, but I think you're seeing consistent ticket sales um, in all these markets. And that's that's really encouraging to see because that you know, kind of shows that, yes, you know, in these cities, you know, there is still a, a market and there's, a, there's an appetite for, for teams and for football. So, I think that's really encouraging to see. And I think uh, as the merchandise sales and things like that continue to roll out, you'll, you'll only see that grow. It's a different league too, right? Like we saw Tavares Barnes, who's our defensive end. He, after one of the plays, grabbed a beer from, from the fans and chugged it <laughs> right there on the field. And, and, and he tweeted out a video of it saying, uh, I love this league because I get to do this and get no fines. It's... You're not going to see that in any other. Any other no, they they really they really embrace the fun, and you're, you know you see the post game celebrations with the Bud Light seltzers and things like that. I mean, it's really it's yeah. it's it's great to see. I you know I think folks love watch, obviously watching football high level, but they also enjoy you know the access to the players, not just the access in terms of hearing what they're saying, but also folks you know being lighthearted and actually enjoying time. I think that's been encouraging to see. John, I think it's now time to turn for the moment that we've been waiting for, the power rankings uh, that both of us have, right? Because I, I think we have some similarities here, but there are a few differences that we have as well. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on, on the changes that you've made. And I also just want to be able to read a list where we have the defenders ranked higher based off of the power rankings that we had tweeted out last week. 
Um, <laughs> we like seeing anything positive there, right? So uh, if you're ready, let's just start going through this list and talking about our picks. Yeah, absolutely. So number one, we <laughs> we both are in agreement here, and I think much of the league is in agreement as well. When a team starts 5-0, and it's difficult to, to argue against putting the Houston Roughnecks at first, ba- uh, first place. Um, <laughs> hopefully, at some point in the season, we'll get to, to a point where we can bump them down from there. But right now, I, they're unquestionably the, the number one team in the league, it looks like. And they've really looked unstoppable, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got P.J. Walker, who I think is – Really, if he's not the MVP, it's only because uh, Cam Phillips, his wide receiver, number one wide receiver, is is going to take that. I mean, just a great combo. I'm really dynamic offense. Um, I, I think the only caveat to that is they they had had some close gains, but I think that's a testament. They have, yeah, a testament to how he and you know in crunch time and in late game situations is everything you want in a quarterback. Um, very poised, able to lead his team down the field. So they've been able to win these close games in large part because of plays that he's made that his counterpart on the other side uh, hasn't been able to. So I agree. I mean, I think Houston's the consensus number one. Hard to argue against the only undefeated team left in uh, in the league. Exactly. Exactly. Any time a team starts out 5-0, and <laughs> they're going to be a force to reckon with. But we'll see. We're going to face them, I believe, um... <clears throat> Is it is it week eight when we play against them? Well, actually, so we, yeah, we we'll, we play uh, Dallas next week, and then we're going at Houston. So hopefully, yeah, you know, DC exactly. is riding is riding a two game winning streak at that point and able to conquer their road demons. So that could end up being a, a pretty pivotal game, um, depending on how the East shakes out as well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's going to be a tough test for us. So yeah, you're right. That's that's week seven then um, when we play the Roughnecks away. That's. Ugh. We'll see, but you know, if they come in undefeated against us, hopefully we can be the ones to to stop them. But as of right now, they look like a pretty strong team. What What's surprising to me is that we we were in agreement in second place, and actually, based off of what I'm seeing uh, from other news sources and uh, social media, not many people have this team ranked second. But we we both agreed that the Battle Hawks, despite their loss to us, are are second overall in our power rankings. Yeah, and I think. You know, the the pro- one of the problems with doing this is not overreacting to any one game. Yeah. Um, so I think if you look at look at where the Battlehawks were coming into this game, I thought they did have one of the better quarterbacks in the league in Tamu, who we were really able to make uncomfortable and really had, I think, his worst game of the year. So factor yeah, that in, um, again, Matt Jones, a great running back, and I think having a, a great running back goes a long way in this league. Um. Disappointing offensive showing, but again, the St. Louis defense is pretty good. They came to play, held us in check on offense. So I don't think it necessarily follows that you have to have, you know, the team, you know, leapfrog the team that they just beat. Because, I mean, you can do that. Anyone except the Roughnecks, really, you can do a musical chairs of who's being who. Um, so I think at some point you, you assess the overall strengths of the team. Who would you not want to play? And I think the Battlehawks, um, at least for right now, I have them one spot above us um, at, at you know in that two spot, tied for first in the East. Um, it's still this this division's up for grabs. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. And, and I think I think one of the big things you know projecting them moving forward is they don't have a quarterback um, issue, right? You know, Tom might have had a poor game, but barring injury, he's their guy. They have an offensive identity. Um, they had they struggle in this game, but I, I don't doubt that. 
their offense is going to bounce back next week. Whereas with DC, you know, I think we're still trying to find our identity. So I, I give a slight uh, edge to the, the Battle Hawks in that respect. Yeah, I agree with you. I have, <laughs> I have us placed the third as well, uh, right behind the Battle Hawks. I think it, it, we need to be weary of not overreacting to single games. We definitely have the potential to pass the Battle Hawks there. But as of now, we're still coming off of two really forgettable weeks. And, you know, even with those, we don't want to overreact to those scores either because we know the team was more capable of the scores that we got away. But we also know that there are a lot of question marks that that we need to answer throughout the season, starting with quarterback, right, which is a key position in any football league. Um, so that's why I have us at third. I think that if we if we can solve the – the issue that we're seeing with passing the ball and if Cardell Jones can get going next week, it's conceivable that we could end up being the second ranked team uh, in next week's power rankings. But as of now, I'm comfortable putting us at third. Uh, But you talk about the tie in East, right? At first place, the defenders, because we beat the battle Hawks and because we beat the guardians, we are in first place, but we have the same record as St. Louis, but we also have the same record with the team that we shut out the New York guardians and they're really making a comeback, and both of us put them at fourth place in our power rankings. Why is that? Yeah, you know, I, a team that I would have left for dead um, after <laughs> exactly. the two uh, uh, beatdown, but they've really uh, come back. You know, with uh, Perez has been uh, the quarterback of uh, Cassius with McGloin injury. Uh, you know, we'll see if he holds on to that job, which he's making a strong case for, but. Uh, New York's a pretty uh, balanced approach. They have a very strong defense. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think um, winning against the Wildcats was pretty pivotal because we had both thought that the Wildcats were um, kind of similar how they how they played against the defenders and against uh, the Vipers. You know, sandwiched in between that was a um, an off showing against the Guardians. So. Is, I was tempted to put the Wildcats a little bit above, but I do think that the Guardians seem to be a more consistent team now, whereas the Wildcats kind of ebb and flow and have, you know, game for Josh Johnson looks great, whereas other games he struggles. So, again, it's a little bit of a function of not overreacting to what we both thought was a fantastic game Sunday night. Um, but I think the Guardians have shown that they're, they're not going to be an easy out. And, you know, we thought the East looked like it had a few teams – trending towards the bottom with the guardians and the vipers, but really, I mean, any team can be is, you know, can beat any team in this situation. We've got the vipers and battle Hawks next week. So I wouldn't be surprised if the vipers bounce back and beat the battle Hawks. And then we're questioning, well, St. Louis has dropped two in a row now. So it's these matchups down the stretch are going to be very interesting to see. And I think the guardians overall probably, probably going to hover around the middle of the pack for most of the year. I don't see them jumping up too far based on some of the limitations with their offensive weapons and um, how dynamic they are in offense, but a pretty consistent team, it seems now. And they've, they've kind of uh, steadied the ship. Yeah. And we're, we're both in agreement. I think now going to spot number five as well, like you've mentioned, we both have the Wildcats at spot five. And I think we've seen a lot of potential from them. They've really been a boom or bust team. Right. So right now they're below the Guardians and we have Battle Hawks, Defenders, Guardians ranked right underneath each other. But I could see the Wildcats conceivably shoot up that ranking as well if they could start playing consistent offense. Um, they definitely have the talent to do that, but they've had some really bad looking games. They've had some really good looking games. That's why I've got them at the middle. And that's why I think that 
I put them slightly below the Guardians, but they're definitely the team that I think has the highest chance of moving up uh, at the end of next week. We'll see. It's going to be interesting, but uh, they looked really good. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and they've got the Seattle Dragons, so a, a team that's been struggling. So I think it's a great opportunity for them to build off that, that Vipers win. And I agree. I think, I think they have the highest upward mobility um, in this pack as a function of you know, how you know, a slower start. But also, they've got their quarterback. Um, they've got, I think, some really great receivers. And Trey McBride, who um, is really – McBride's looking really good. Uh, Nelson Spruce, um, I know, has, has been out recently. But, again, he's a, he's a great yeah. player if he's able to come back. Um, so they've got the weapons. And, you know, I think in Montez Carr, they've got a running back who exploded onto the scene. So – I think they've they've got great weapons, and I think they've got a, a pretty solid fan base as well that came out to show. So, I, I think they are, especially in the West now, where all of a sudden, with um, not to foreshadow ahead to the, our, our Renegades discussion, but the second spot in the West is is up for grabs. You know, I, I don't think any of us foresee oh, it is, yeah. any of us foresee Houston collapsing, but that second spot, you know, the, you got a few teams with losing records in, in the West. But it, it's wild. It's wide open right now. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, now that you mention it, it's actually scary to think that we really haven't seen Trey McBride and Nelson Spruce play together yet because Spruce got injured immediately after McBride came back. And those two are really dangerous weapons, and they got a great quarterback throwing to them too. So I wouldn't be surprised, like you said, if the Wildcats, you know, get things going and um, really come together to to show that they have a dominant offense because they got a – good running back in Carter as well so we'll see what happens but that's our top five and we're consistent up until now but this is where where we have differing opinions <laughs> yeah, so this is where the I have is. I have the Dallas Renegades ranked sixth and you have the Tampa Bay Vipers uh so let's talk about that a bit why why do you have the Vipers up at six yeah I just this the talent on this team I think is really swaying me I mean it's mm-hmm. it's been the story of the season, right? I mean, they they outgain their opponents in a lot of these games. They their offense shows just really consistent um, performance throughout, and it's these turnovers, it's these the end of game decisions in the red zone. Um, an interception by Cornelius uh, deprives us of the first XFL or potentially the first XFL overtime game. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's just it's a shame to see this. You know, this team seems to be uh, snake bin, not to use a pun of the Vipers. But I mean, they're really just shooting themselves in the foot every chance they get. And any momentum that you see building um, in these losses, it's been tough to see. So I put them at six largely because in the East, again, they're they're only a few games back. You know, and especially if they beat St. Louis, you know, I, I think they're right back in the mix. You know, having beaten mm-hmm. us already, you know, they lost to the Guardians, but. If they come in, you know, with a tiebreaker against the against us and the Battlehawks, um, with the chance to sweep the season series, I think that's, you know, for all that's happened, they're they're right where they need to be, you know, and they've had to make a quarterback adjustment on the fly. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Quentin Flowers, right? I mean, he's he's with the team, he's not with the team. Um, he's talks of him being traded to the Guardians. Um, that seems to have fallen mm-hmm. through. Um, so whether they can they hold on to him or they try to trade him for some some great assets, um, in my mind, I'm thinking of a great receiver. Um, and I think they they got a pair of their running backs, but to get a, a, a you know a downfield vertical threat receiver, you know, in exchange for a quarterback, I think there's a lot of teams that would be um, interested in, put, in making that trade. Yeah. So 
I guess I'll talk about this twofold. For me, the Vipers, they've had some really close losses. They they were really the, the team that gave Houston a run for their money. They looked great against the Roughnecks, and, you know, they, they obviously crushed us. So we, we, we can't bash them there. Uh, so I do agree with you having them uh, at least at six for now. Uh, I think the reason that I had the Renegades up high is – they haven't looked like an excitement, exciting team. I don't know that they'll really be able to move up in these rankings, but they also, you know, they're they're showing up and they're they're not they're not giving blowout losses. And I mean, the Landry Jones loss is huge, and I think that's really going to frame this team a lot going forward. But I, I think they've at least been a decent team that every team has to sort of worry about. None of the games that they've that they've um, had against them, I've said, okay, they're definitely going to lose this. I think that they've been able to at least show up. And I don't think that Lanny Jones was the only thing that had them rolling. Um, they've been able to at least hold scoring down a little bit. And um, they've shown that they have an okay offense. By no means do I see them as an incredibly exciting team. But I also didn't see them as a team that has a lot of issues. And that's why I had placed them at six. My seventh pick is the Tampa Bay Vipers. And, and the reason that I have them a little bit lower is because I still think they have the issues actually closing out games and, and finishing strong. We had talked earlier in the season about how we were seeing some red zone issues with them, how they weren't really able to score. Now it seems like they've sort of solved those. Um, I mean, they've had some high scoring games. They've had some of the most exciting games that we've seen. Um, but that being said, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's. I think I think the East is a really tough division, and I think the Vipers have really lost out on a lot of games that they had to win. Um, so I don't know how they're going to be able to bounce back from their current record. But you know, you do have a point. It's 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 a game, It's a season with only ten games, and a couple wins will get them on a roll. And they have the tiebreaker against us. They they could get a couple more tiebreakers that really propelled them up in the standings. But for now, I had them at seven. And I think you at seven had the Seattle Dragons. Yeah, and really quick to go to your point about the Vipers, I think that's, that's definitely fair. I just think I think one of the things I'm looking at is whether, you know, they've, they've been coming up short having these turnovers. I do see an identity forming with that team. And I think the team is mm-hmm. tr- starting to trust in that system, whereas when they were 0-3, I think you were seeing some fracturing um, and, you know, some disagreement with Quinn Flowers. I think how Mark Trustman's handled that situation has kind of regained the trust of the team. Yeah. Even though it didn't, hasn't translated into um, success on Sunday. But I, I, I like where that team is going. And they very well might lose again to the Battlehawks, at which point I think then you yeah. then you got to eventually say at one point, at some point, if you're not getting it done, you're not, you got to drop down. But um, I just like where the, the potential and that, that team move upward. And yeah, yeah, I got the. I, I agree with you. I just want to quickly interject there because I agree with you that you know, we could see that from them. And I, I just want to say, while we're on it, that Sunday game against the Wildcats was one of the best games I've watched. Oh yeah, any football level. I mean, <laughs> this is what we were promised. <laughs> that 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 was such an incredible game. For those of you who didn't get to see it, uh, the Vipers lost thirty-four to forty-one. They had a turnover. Uh, it, the last drive of the game and an interception <laughs> in the red zone talking about not being able to compete, uh, complete red zone plays that sealed the game for the Wildcats. We were very close to our first overtime 
but it was just such a fun game to watch. And, you know, we saw several lead changes there and that game had everything. So <laughs> I'll at least thank the Vipers for giving us the entertainment that we had Sunday night as well. Yeah, and that was the that was the DC Defenders Bowl up until that point because I think that was where yeah. both teams only win had been against uh, DC. So yeah, it's <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I got I got the Dragons at seven uh, and you have at eight. I don't think we have any disagreement about um, where they're at. Um, just in an unfortunate position where they're competing somewhat, but they're just. Well, I, I just think that the ceiling for this team is not as high as these other teams. And the only reason I have them at seven instead of eight is I, I just when I see the Renegades without Landry Jones, I just um, I'm I'm just concerned that this offense is just anemic, really. And I think that, again, this this ranking, take it with a caveat. I I'm concerned that Jones might not be back either for the whole rest of the season or for most of the season. I've seen some optimistic uh, timelines. I've seen some that are not as optimistic and uh not yeah. you know I, I think philip nelson he's a he's an athletic player he's a he's got some running ability but i saw him come in and uh turn the ball over against houston uh in a goal to go situation um really seemed just throw i mean had, i think through 49 times in this past game really wasn't uh as effective and I think the running game from Dallas that had been really strong, I think is predicated in part on you know, Landry Jones leading that attack, having the balance passing attack to, to go along with it. Um, so I, I see the team is kind of struggling and regressing uh, without Jones under center. And I'm also basing, you know, I, I think they're going to come to DC and have a rough time um, as well. I think, I hope yeah, so. <laughs> I, I think there are rougher days ahead uh, before it gets better for Dallas. And when I'm projecting, which team has more talent overall? I think I think Dallas does, but I just I just don't like the situation they're in right now without their starting quarterback. I feel I really feel for them because I actually really I didn't know much about Landry Jones before following the XFL, but just from what I saw from him from the games that he did play in, not only what what he showed on the field, and he didn't look like a superstar on the field. He looked good, but he didn't look like a superstar. He had. I think some crucial uh, turnovers that sort of costed them, but he seemed like such a genuinely nice person and he had just come back from an injury and then to get injured like this. I mean, hopefully they're saying three weeks now, right? And hopefully that's, that's going to be the true, the true timetable for him being out. I would hate for him to miss the rest of the season. And um, I really feel for Dallas fans who who wanted to see him out there. And um, I think for the league too, it's always better to have, to have the top talent that you can. Uh, playing so it's tough it's tough but um I guess that's why you have them at eight for me you know obviously the team left is the Seattle Dragons I'll go through these rankings just one more time uh very quickly so I had Roughnecks Battlehawks Defenders Guardians Wildcats and we're both in agreement through that one through five but then we change I have Renegade sixth you have the Vipers sixth then I have Vipers seven uh Dragons eighth you have Dragon 7, Renegades 8. I think that's going to do it for today's episode. I, I wanted to take a quick moment to just thank all the followers that we have that have been liking the content that we put out on Twitter, listening to our podcasts, and sharing everything we do with their friends. That really means a lot to us. For those of you that do support us consistently, 
we notice it and we really do appreciate it. Uh, there's also a group of people who have left us reviews on iTunes. Those are also extremely helpful and help this podcast grow. So it really means a lot. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, our Twitter handle is at ShieldsUpCast. As always, we're going to continue sharing all DC Defenders news there, in addition to posting any photos or videos that we take from the games. Um, but we really, really enjoy following this team and recording new episodes for the show to keep everyone up to date on the DC Defenders and the XFL as a whole. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And until next time, Shields up.